Good morning. Well, we're here. We survived Christmas. Let's stand and worship God together. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Alleluia, Alleluia, Thou burning sun with golden beam, Thou silver moon with softer gleam, Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him. And sailing him along. Oh, praise him, Alleluia. Thou rising morning, praise rejoice. Ye lights of evening, find a voice. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. your part. Oh, sing ye, alleluia. Ye who long pain and sorrow bear, praise God and on him cast your care. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. their Creator bless, and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him, Alleluia. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit three in one. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia.
pray with me, please? Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for this Christmas season, the joy we've shared, the music, the food, the gifts, and of course, the gift behind it all, Jesus. Be with us now as we begin a new year. We finish the old, bring in the new, and we worship you afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Glad you've all survived. Turn around and greet your neighbor. I know you're glad to see him here today. Christmas from Kids Street as well. You guys have a good holiday. Yeah, open lots of presents. Yeah. I remember um, Christmas Eve I saw you guys, and one of you had some good news to share. And you just couldn't wait to come up to me and my family and everybody in the lobby, and you would say, guess what? Right? Yeah, that was you. What did you share? I had a Super Bowl season. You won the Super Bowl in your football league, right? So when you have good news, don't you just, you just can't wait to share it, right? You guys know I'm a third grade teacher? Yes. Do you guys have class meetings in your classroom, like little circle time where you share things? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes my topic on Monday morning is, you know, share one good thing that you did over the weekend. My kids can't wait to tell me all about stuff. Or on Fridays, sometimes I say, what are you looking forward to? And they'll tell me, you know, some plans they have to see their cousins or their grandma or they've got a birthday party coming up. They just can't wait to share good news. Well, you know, part of the story of Jesus' birth is some shepherds sharing some good news. You remember the story where the shepherds were tending to their flock of sheep at night and the angels appeared to them and they sang to them and they were kind of afraid of these angels appearing in the sky. But they said, don't be afraid. I bring you great news of good joy, right? That there's a baby that's going to be born and it's going to be the savior of all mankind. What did the shepherds do? They said, let's go see the baby in Bethlehem, right? So they ran down there and they saw baby Jesus. And then we pick up the story here in verse 17, Luke 2. It says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished. So, how do we respond to good news that we have a Savior, that God loves us so much that he sent his Son? We tell others. We tell them how much God loves us, how much God loves them, that they are people of worth, right? We tell others, just like the shepherds did. So, I have a candy cane that's in the shape of a shepherd's hook, right? How they help the sheep if they get stuck in the bushes, right? Sometimes they ward off a wolf if the wolf wants to get to the sheep, right? So what is it when you turn one of these upside down? What letter does that look like? J, doesn't it? Yeah, for Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So Take a candy cane on your way back after we pray, and that'll remind you to share the good news of Jesus with others. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the ultimate gift that you give to us through your Son, that we are loved by you, that we are saved, so that we can live with you forever, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's continue to stand and worship God together. There is a truth older than ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation. Jesus, Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the dark. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is a freedom from the chains that bind us. Jesus, Jesus, who walks on the waters, who speaks to the sea. Oh 
promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every Offerings every week, special offerings for benevolence, offerings just to keep this institution going. Give generously as Jesus has given to us. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for your presence. Help us to give generously back to you. You have been generous with us. Help us to learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Nate and Brian. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Two passages, Psalms 25 and Matthew 5. Psalms 25 and Matthew 5. We'll start out at Psalms 25 in your Old Testament. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, if that helps. Psalms 25. As always, we pray, thanking God for the end of 2020, praying that the next year is better in so many ways. But even in tough times, there is a God who cares for us. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. I'll close, and then we'll look at these passages together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence today, for food, clothing, shelter, safety, family and friends, for your love and grace, which gives us hope in this life and in the life to come. Father, you have been so generous with us, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for saving us from ourselves for giving us teachings that can change us and guide us, for giving us a reason for hope. We thank you for all these things, Father. Father, we thank you and we worship you because you are a gracious and giving God. You create us. You gift us with music. You gift us with things that are essential. You gift us with things that enhance our lives. We recognize, Father, that everything that is good on this earth is gift from you. And we thank you for that. We thank you for this life we have in Jesus. For giving us an understanding of life on this earth. For cleansing us of sin. For a hope in the life that is to come. Thank you. Lord, as always, we come to you knowing that Many of our people struggle. We pray, especially for Nick and Renee Morris, as he goes through his recovery. Just bless them. Help them to sense your presence. Help him to gain his strength and be able to go back to work soon. Father, I thank you that you've been moving in our congregation so that people will share what they have with them. We pray that would continue. Lord, we know that there are others that have needs. Help us to be willing to give a part of what you've given us to those that need. We pray, Father, for others in our congregation that struggle. Some are sick, facing surgeries. Others facing regimens of treatment. Some facing decisions that will change their lives. We pray for guidance and wisdom for them, for healing, for a release from their suffering. We know that many families are struggling not just to keep their homes together, but to keep their homes. Help them, Father. We pray for our nation's leaders that they would be able to get together and do the things that need to be done to help people. In this new year, we pray for the new leadership that's coming in. Give them wisdom and discernment. We pray, Father, that their ideas and guidance would be things that can help us. As always, we pray for our first responders and our soldiers and their families, keep them safe. Use them as only you can. Provide comfort for those that have lost loved ones in their efforts. Father, we pray for justice. We pray for a court system that would work well. Help us, Father. In this world, we are struggling. Again, Father, we thank you for all good things. We pray that you teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. God loves us, and He wants to help. Think about this. I'm not going to give you too much time to think. don't want to lose you. If you can, can you think of one or two people in your life that made a difference? I don't mean they just made your supper, but they made a difference in your life in some way. It could be a parent. It could be a teacher, maybe a preacher or a Sunday school teacher. One of the things I do, sometimes I, whenever I can, I get up early and go out on the porch and I, I sit and I pray and, and I end up sometimes just going through that list of people that have made an impact in my life. And, and I consider them gifts. Some of them were preachers. Some of them were Sunday school teachers. And by the way, the ones that sometimes made the biggest difference weren't particularly good teachers. They were just particularly good people. And they taught me something. I don't know that I could remember a specific teaching event, but some of those people, Jim Berry, for instance, you never met him. He's dead now. Just a nobody guy who really made an impact. And I don't even know what he did, but whenever I think of important people in my life, I think of Jim Berry. He was one of the worst teachers I've ever had, by the way. He could make anything really boring as he droned through it. But he was just a great guy. And he loved us. He was the only teacher I had for many years simply because there was a group of us kids, eight, nine-year-old boys, and no one else would take us. And that was well known in our church in Excelsior. So he was the guy who said, well, okay, I'll do it again. And he did that for seven or eight years until somebody else stepped up. And maybe that was it. But I look at him and some of my other teachers and friends And they made an impact, and I've begun to realize that those weren't just good people that just happened to be there. They were people that God planted there because I needed something they could impart to me. I realized that God did that for me because He loved me. There were things I needed to learn, things that I needed to see in action. Sometimes people taught me by doing the right thing, and I learned. Some people, I think God put in my churches, So I could see how not to do things because I had a tendency to do things that way. But when I saw somebody else do them, I realized the error of my ways. God does that for each of us. He places people in our lives to help us and guide us because he loves us. One of the things that God does for us, you can see this on screen, he gives us an idea of how we are to live. The teachings God sends us are based on his love for us all. Now, if you would, look in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I'm sorry, Psalms 25. Got ahead of myself. Psalms 25. I'll read verses 4 through 6 and 8 through 10. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord... Thy compassion and thy loving kindness, for they have been from old. Now drop down to verses 8 through 10. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. And all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. King David understood that God taught people what they needed to hear because he loved them. He wasn't necessarily being a killjoy or trying to just put restraints on a wild people. There was some need for restraint, but God teaches people because they need to hear. So what we're going to do today is talk about a thing called an ethic. Now, some of you are, are familiar with that term, not just ethical, but developing an ethic. An ethic is nothing more than a set of guides that you use for your life. So when we talk about a godly ethic, we're talking about guides for your life that have godly characteristics. Sometimes they're straight out of a particular passage. Sometimes they're out of Jesus' actions and things like that. But today we're going to talk about how God provides for us a godly ethic. And in Psalms, a passage we read, there are a couple of things we can pick up on. And one of the things is the godly ethic for life is based on God's eternal wisdom. Look at verse 6 again. For they have been from old. What that means is God's wisdom 
and his ethic for Christians hasn't changed. It has been there forever. So in the mind of God, when he created us and he envisioned humanity, he envisioned teaching us how to live on this earth, he knew what we would be like. He knew our situations. He knew what we would encounter. And he knew we would need to be taught, just like a parent who has his baby. Eventually, you're going to have to teach him or her how to do things correctly, just like my daughters trying to teach my granddaughters not to hit people in the face. They know they need to learn that. And so they're beginning to teach them an ethic. And this is exactly what's going on in the book of Psalms. David understood that some of the things God was teaching was just an ethic so that people would begin to learn how to live. And the fact that it's been from old means that they haven't changed. So here's the news flash. What people have needed to live successfully in this life is the same thing today as it was 10,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago, or however long, depends on which book you read, when people were on this earth living their lives, the things that they needed to learn then to function, honesty, integrity, getting along with others, don't resort to violence first time, those things have been helpful 10,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and today. The things that make you successful, the things that enable you to live a good life on this earth in any culture have been around forever because they are part of God's wisdom, that ethic that God wants to give us. And they aren't complicated necessarily. They may, be, they may sound old-fashioned. Sometimes when you talk about being a person of integrity or being a person who is absolutely honest and things like that, they sound kind of old-fashioned. But, and they may be old-fashioned, but they worked thousands of years ago, and they work today because they are godly wisdom. A godly ethic isn't based on what a culture says is good or bad. A godly ethic is based on what God says is good or bad. So if you look to Scripture, and you read the book of Psalms, and you see how God teaches people to live, and how he taught them to live in those days, centuries before Jesus, those teachings are just as applicable to us today as they ever were. I was talking to a good friend earlier this morning about a work ethic and, and personal responsibility. And one of the biblical teachings, part of that godly ethic, is a work ethic where you get up and you work. Regardless of what you do, you get up, you apply yourself, and you work hard. And that's pretty much the course of life. And that is a godly ethic. If you want to see what makes the biggest difference between a people group, it's oftentimes that sense of personal responsibility and being willing to take care of yourselves. I have relatives in my big family who learned that personal responsibility well. And they do well because they work and they take care of themselves. In my large family, I also have people who have never gotten the idea that they must take care of themselves and they want somebody else to do it for them, and it makes, them, it makes it difficult for them to have a good life. That's just one example of part of a godly ethic that God has. You being personally responsible for you. You act in a certain way because you choose to, not because your mama and daddy made you or anyone else pushes your button. You choose how to act. You take responsibility for your actions, and that's part of that idea of God's eternal wisdom. One of the other things here on screen, it is for everyone. Verse 8, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. So when he's talking about sinners, who's he talking about? Those people? No. You people. Us. Right? You know, whenever Christians talk about sinners, it, it almost comes out like we're talking about somebody else. When we're talking about sinners, we're talking about us. So when God instructs sinners... He's not talking about what God did for them. He's talking about what God does for us. He instructs us because he loves us and he gives us this ethic that helps me and helps you and helps us in this life. It's something that we just have to understand that loving father teaches hard lessons to children and that lesson can give them success in life. One of the lessons that my daddy taught me was, and listen to this, Shut your mouth. And yes, he said it just like that. Usually abbreviated by a good knuckle thump right in the middle of my chest. One day I was talking about one of my friends who had been stopped by a policeman. We were just at the age we were beginning to drive. 
And my friend had gotten into an argument with the policeman, got a very expensive ticket because of that. And I was telling my dad how stupid I thought the policeman was. And that's when I got the knuckle thump right there that took my breath away. And dad threw me up against the wall, physically, yes, it was terrible. And he told me, listen, buddy, you don't know anything about that policeman. When you get stopped by a policeman, you know what he said to me? He said, you shut your mouth. You stand there and you let him see your hands and you say, yes, sir, and you shut your mouth and you stand there and you shut your mouth. He kept saying that over and over and over, shut your mouth. And, you know, I thought about that and that's probably one of the best lessons I ever learned. I never know what's going on in the mind of a policeman. I don't know what kind of day he's had. I don't know the experiences he's had. And I don't know what I might look like. So guess what I do when I'm stopped by a policeman? I shut my mouth. I say, yes, sir, no, sir. I leave my hands on the steering wheel because I don't want him to think I'm doing something wrong. I don't get out of the car until he tells me. And that has gotten me through some rough scrapes just because I did what my father taught me. You see, God loves us, so he teaches us how to act. Just like my daddy loved me, so he taught me how to act. It's not a racial thing. It's not just culture. It's, not, it's more than common sense. It, are, it is lessons based on the wisdom of God. So God does that for us. And he gives us this ethic for sinners. And that's you and me. Everybody needs the same instruction from God. And when we do that, our life takes on a different characteristics. All of the teachings that we can gain, we can go to that next screen, please, will be based on wisdom of God and it will allow us to have the ethic of God within us. So if you would, turn over to Matthew 25 now. Matthew 7, I'm sorry, I'm not reading my notes. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Talking about Jesus teaching us things that made up that godly ethic. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus talking, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and if you remember, we've talked about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount several times just recently, and we talked about some of the basic lessons of life making up that godly ethic and God gave us this godly ethic to help us. And Jesus came on this earth, and part of salvation story, and part of living Christian life is developing that godly ethic. So Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, began to talk about some of those things. And interestingly enough, in the passage he read, he said, the man who hears these words and does them is the one who has a house that will stand. The difference being not just what you know, but what you do. In other words... It doesn't matter what you know if you don't do it. So when you learn godly ethics, when you hear Scripture, when you hear Jesus teaching us something about how to live, if you don't do anything with it, you lose. Your house will crumble. But if you hear God's teachings and you do those teachings, meaning you allow God to teach you how to act and teach you how to talk and teach you how to relate to others, then you will gain in this life. You'll build a house that will stand. So on screen are some elements of a godly ethic. And now if you would, turn back to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And we won't read that first section because I did a whole sermon on healthy relationships last week. Jesus in his Beatitudes talked about mercy and forgiveness and making peace. In other words... One part of a godly ethic is you working at healthy relationships with other people. It does not mean you have to necessarily like them. It does not mean you have to necessarily agree with their lifestyle or their politics. So here is part of a godly ethic that transcends our absurd culture. 
You can love people with whom you disagree. You can have good relationships with people that you don't agree with. And it doesn't matter whether you like it or not, it is possible. In fact, God commands us to do that, to love people even when we disagree. In my family of rednecks and California liberals, this has been a very difficult lesson. And I know from talking to you that some of you have the same problem because you've got liberals and rednecks in your same family. Get together for Christmas in the name of Jesus and it makes it very difficult, doesn't it? What we have to do is not just think of the words of Jesus. We have to do the words of Jesus for those good relationships. Another thing that Jesus mentioned is the idea of sincerity. Look at chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus talking, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Most of you know that Jesus had a lot of problem with religious leadership. They knew the rules, they knew the godly ethic, but they didn't do them. They were insincere, they were hypocrites. They said one thing and did another. One part of a godly ethic is for you to not only say you follow Jesus, but to actually follow Jesus. So if you tell people that Jesus is important to you, they're going to watch you, and they're going to hear you talk, and going to see how you treat other people, them included. And if what you say doesn't jive with what you do, guess what? The credibility of your witness is going to be like the house built on sand. It's going to fall. People need to hear Christians talking about Jesus, but more importantly, they need to hear those people who talk about Jesus to live like Jesus, so you can be sincere, and that's part of a godly ethic. Now, if you would, in chapter 5 still, verses 21 through 24, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So we can go on there, but Jesus is talking about someone who controls the way they act. In other words, self-restraint. Everybody gets angry. I know. And sometimes it seems that physical violence would be an appropriate way to deal with certain people. I get that. Guess what Jesus says to do? You control your emotions. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter where someone deserves a good slap in the face. As Christian, he expects you to control yourself. So what he's talking about is someone who gets so mad at someone that they shoot their mouths off. They don't hit them, but they shoot their mouths off at them and destroy them verbally. And Jesus said, you can't do either one. You've got to get control of your emotions. So think about this. Part of a godly ethic is learning not only to control the way you express your anger, but the way you allow your emotions to determine the course of your life. We all know people whose life is just one big drama scene because their emotions are all over the place and their emotions lead them to say dumb things and do dumb things and they're continually upset. Jesus would say, if you follow me, let me help you control your emotions. What you feel isn't the issue. It's how you express those feelings and that's part of a godly ethic. One other thing in chapter 6, verse 2. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. They will have their reward. So casual here, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, when you give alms, that means when you give your money away in God's kingdom to serve him and to help others. The assumption here is that God's people parting having a godly ethic, will learn to give away part of what they've been given. Now, in the New Testament, Old Testament included, the model was a tithe, 10% of whatever you make, and then Paul built on that. Give that tithe, but then give according to what you've been given, and then give according to need, and sometimes it'll be more than a tithe. So part of a godly ethic is learning not only to think about people's needs, but to do something to help meet those needs. That's part of being Godly. A godly ethic means sharing what you have with others. It shows that you care about others in a way that words cannot, and it shows also that you are not bound by your possessions. Sometimes people are so bound by their possessions, and they can have substantial gifts, and they are unwilling to give it away. God's people are to be known as people who give away part of what they have to others. 
it's significant that in most crises in our culture, when there's a natural disaster or a tornado or something, and you don't make, it doesn't make the press, but most of the groups that show up are Christian groups. Sometimes they're Methodists, sometimes they're Baptists, sometimes they're Presbyterians, sometimes Mormon. But they're Christian groups, and they're putting their money where the mouth is, and that is exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to step up and to share what we have with others. And when you do that, you are not just being nice. You're practicing a godly ethic. A godly ethic makes you generous to a fault sometimes. On screen is one final idea. When lived consistently, a godly ethic becomes a way by which God works within our lives. He can use us and he can bless us as we live out our faith. Sometimes people, I'll hear people say, well, God has never blessed me before. And then I start asking them some questions. Well, how do you live? And if they whine about their relationships, I ask them, well, how do you live in your relationships? Or if they whine about the jobs they've lost or things like that, I start asking them some questions. And I'm not always easy on them because a lot of times people struggle in life and they may not experience much in the way of God's blessings, sometimes because they reject God's leadership. Not always. Some people are treated unfairly. That's true. But even people that are treated unfairly can begin to experience the blessings of God as they learn to live according to a godly ethic. And that's one of the ways God gifts us. He teaches us how to live. He teaches us how to live on this earth. And if we do those things, God blesses us. So let me challenge you and encourage you, not only hear the teachings of Jesus, but to accept them and do them. When you do that, your life will change, and God can come in to work within you and bless you. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn. Nate, why don't you come lead us and make this your goal for the new year? Please stand. Thank you, Nate. Would you pray with me, please? Father, again, we thank you for your presence. Thank you, Father, for teaching us from your word. Help us to understand and accept your teachings. Give us a willingness to apply them to our lives. Help us to be people who do your word, not just hear it. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Guide us in this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week. Mm -hmm.